It is great to have you on the Family Goals podcast with Davey Pollock and Pastor Jay. I'm Jolin House, and on this podcast, we want to encourage you to grow closer to God, to strengthen your marriage, and to inspire your family to reach its highest potential. Today, we are joined by former UGA football player and Super Bowl champ, Ben Watson. Let's take a deeper dive into Ben Watson's life off the field as he shares some amazing wisdom. Let's go. I am, I am going to hype him up before we start. He's the freakiest athlete I've ever seen. He's the, he's the freakiest athlete. Ben Watson. Are you saying he's a better athlete than you? Oh, yes. He is. He, he, uh, let me tell you something. He's the best athlete I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Ben, what did you run at combines? A pedestrian four or five. Stop it. You ran four, three, one, right? Four, three, two. That was at pro day. Pro day. Four, three, eight. Four, three, eight. Okay. Four, three, eight. Pro day. You said combine. Man, shut up. Man, shut up. Stop ruining my story, bro. Um, Four, three something at 255, 260 pounds. I watched, I watched him. Shut up. This is my story. Shut up. I watched him bench 500. You know what? Now, now I'm going to change. I watched him bench 685 pounds. Like he, he did. I, I don't know. What, I remember what he did. What was the total you ended up benching? 565. He up. did. He did. I think he did like 540. Go ahead and get it out because I'm going to start on you pretty soon. He, he, he did like 545 before that. And Coach Van Hallinger was like, no, that doesn't count. And we were all like. What do you mean that doesn't count? Because he didn't lock. He's got long arms, like really long arms. And he was like, he didn't lock it out. And we're all like, are you kidding me? So Ben put more weight on, went down, comes up to the top, locks it out, and looks over at Coach Van, and then racks it. It was. That's a true story. That's a true story. But what's interesting is, okay, so now, you know, talking about athletes, uh, this is a guy who uh, showed up on campus as a fullback, um, and all of a sudden, he's talking cash trash to our All-American um, offensive tackles. And he's really ca- talking cash trash to everybody. Like, what did you I think of me when you first David, met me, Ben? David has he has not changed at all since day one. He's not one of them people that you know became a celebrated, probably the best defensive end to ever play college football. He's he hasn't changed at all. He was that guy when he showed up and nobody expected him to do anything. He moves over to defense. I've never seen anybody that was just around the football all the time. Like, how do you block a punt as a DN? How do you get a sack that turns into a touchdown as a DN? Like, th- did you throw a touchdown pass in college? That might be the only, <laughs> only, thing. That be the only thing that you didn't do. I did not do I that. I don't think you did that. No. That was it. So you talk about a freaky athlete. I, I seriously, to this day, I tell people all the time. I say I don't, I don't understand it. The dude's just a ball player. I've been around some ball players, like Josh Cribbs, ball player, David Pollock, ball player. Like even, even, even down in New Orleans, you know, Taysom Hill, ball, just, yeah. just, a, just a football player, dude. That's you. Well, you had a long, long career in the NFL, a lot of success. I'm just more stubborn than you are, and so I kept on playing forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. But, but, but my wife, who's not very far from me right now, she, she, I should have been done a long time ago. How, how far is she? Because we might need to grab her and get her in here too. Because y'all's <laughs> podcast, if y'all ain't listening to their podcast. Y'all need to listen to their podcast. My wife is obsessed. She sends me links to it all the time. All of her <laughs> friends listen to it. She already read your wife's book. Like, she's already nailed the book. Like, she That's loves awesome. every part of you guys' podcast. What's the name, of the, what book? You- What's the name of the book? We got to promote this. It's called, it's called Sis, Take a Breath. Okay. It's actually right behind me. If you've seen the video. This is, our, this is our family right here. 
It's encouragement for the woman who's trying to live and love well, but secretly wants to take a nap. That's a great title. Yeah, that, that, that ain't just for, that ain't just on. for sisters either. By the way, we all dads want to take a nap too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm reading I'm reading the bio here that you guys have seven children. Yes, sir. Did she give birth to all of these children, or did y'all adopt some of the children? Well, I'm gonna tell you something, dude. And um, I, I say this to a lot of people: like, I'm not in the business of taking on extra kids that uh, didn't used to live quite literally inside me. Um, at some point, part of them at least. And so, yes, they are all, all <laughs> ours. Uh, I was there for all the births. I actually helped with some of the births. Um, so we have seven kids, ages 13 down to three. And um, the last two, uh, the three-year-olds, are identical twin boys, um, Asher and Levi, but I call them Typhoon and Tornado. <laughs> they got to be to survive. They tear up everything, dude. They, even little jokers tear up everything. So, yes, seven kids, ages um, 13 down to three. Pastor Jay, though, they wanted to have their last. Tell the story about you wanted to have your last one to have an even number, correct? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so my <laughs> wife loves even numbers. Kirsten loves it. She probably talks about it in her books, but she loves even numbers. Everybody has to have, you know, uh, somebody to hold their hand. We go to the amusement park and ride on the roller coaster together. And so... You know, we have four kids in literally four and a half years after being married for three years. You know, then we started having kids. And, uh, you know, we were kind of like, uh, should we have any more? And when you're kind of indecisive, you have another kid. So we had number five. And uh, and then and then we talked about the even numbers like you talked about, David. And, um, you know, sadly, I know a lot of people deal with this. We had two miscarriages in a row yeah. trying to go for number six. And. You know, something that a lot of people deal with. I think as a body of Christ, we don't do a good job really mourning with people who have had miscarriages. It's the kind of that that unspoken trauma that people go through. So we had two miscarriages going for number six. And then we said, you know what, we'll try one more time. And hey, if we don't have another kid, that's fine. Five is a cool number. It's edgy. I got five fingers. I can make a fist. I can knock somebody out with five fingers. I mean, five is cool. <laughs> So, Ben, producer Bojack over here, our listeners that have or are going through it, Ben, what advice would you give to them, like, as a husband? Like, how did you deal with it? But then also, how did you support your wife through that? For me, so so, so we had we had two miscarriages back-to-back. -back. We were living in Baltimore, Maryland. I was uh, had had an Achilles surgery, so I was like another kid. Kirsten had to care for me, too. Mm. <laughs> uh, and so it was a really, really difficult time. Um, I think it really shows the importance of community. And so number one, if you're dealing with miscarriage, number one, understand that you're not alone. Understand that um, a high percentage of pregnancies end in, in miscarriage, but it's something that we don't talk about as a body of believers. We haven't figured out how to mourn with those who mourn when they have miscarriages. We understand about funerals of people who are 10, 15, 50 years old. We understand that. We don't, although as although as believers, we talk about the preborn child being made in the image of God and having the same value as that 50-year-old person that dies. We don't treat it the same way when that life passes away. Um, and so number one, understand that you're not alone. Uh, number two, don't feel like you have to suffer alone. Uh, be willing to, with trusted friends, open up about what's happening. Don't feel like you have to be be tough because what you find out and what we found out is that a lot of people dealt with the same thing. 
I can't tell you how many times I'm speaking to someone and I mentioned the miscarriages and they say, oh man, we had one too. How'd you deal with that? It was difficult. There's a, a, a silent um, mourning that is happening, M-O-U-R-N, that is happening with so many people. They're suffering in silence because of miscarriages. And specifically, I would say as, as a husband, um, for us, we're clearly not carrying the child within our body. We haven't held the child like we do a newborn. We don't have the same connection, I think, with the child because we're not caring and we haven't seen or felt the child. But remember that we are one flesh with our wives. And so we suffer with her and we support her. Um, but part of that is communicating. I know for us, for Kirsten, the first one was difficult. The second was difficult in a new way because she's like, I can't even sing these songs about God and trusting him because I thought this is what he wanted for us. And now all of a sudden our child is gone. As a husband, we want to fix things. And there's some things that we can't fix. But what we can do is hold her. We can listen to her. We can sit in silence with her. We can pray for her. And also for men, you know, I think it's important that we understand that we're suffering as well. You know, we're mourning this as well. Don't feel like as a man, you can't talk about how difficult it was for you simply because you weren't carrying the child. There are a lot of men who haven't dealt with their own suffering and mourning um, because they felt they had to be supermen for their wife in that situation. That's not helpful either. So I think I, the, the first miscarriage, I, I wasn't. I think what she needed me to be or what I needed me to be by the second one, I think our communication about how we both felt was a, a lot better and we invited each other into our space. We talk a lot about empathy. Empathy is putting yourself in someone else's shoes. As, as husband and wife, we should already be in each other's shoes. Um, but miscarriage offers an opportunity to do that on a whole nother level. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's hard, but just, just, know that, just know that you're not alone. And so then we, we go for number six. She gets pregnant. And y'all, I go into the the ultrasound with her. And I'm looking at the screen. And by this time, I'm like really good at reading ultrasound. I mean, <laughs> I, I already have five kids. I, I really, I know what I'm looking for. I can yeah. identify all the parts and everything. <laughs> and we're a bit worried about, you know, the miscarriages. And Kirsten asked the technician, do you see a baby in there? And she says, yes. But not one baby. I see two babies. So <laughs> we go for six for the even number, and then we end up having two miscarriages. Then we end up having identical twins, and but we are done at seven. Seven is a number of completion. Yeah, it's a very biblical God's number, baby. Yeah, and perfection. And so we are resting at seven. I'll leave that to you uh, and your wife. They no, nope. y'all can, yeah. can go for seven or eight. We we, we we resting at two. She told me no more. <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's a wrap. God, God had a had a better plan than you guys. He that, he always he always yeah. does, and you know it doesn't eliminate the pain of uh, you know the loss of a kid. You know, for those who have dealt with with miscarriage in the past, it's it's you know you, you don't have anything to replace those those children, um, and uh, it, you know depending on a lot of different factors, it, it's still difficult when you think about that. But his his plan is always uh, perfect for his purposes. Mm -hmm. 
And it is it is beyond um, what, what we can conceive, you know, in our minds, even though it doesn't make sense. And we live in a fallen world. You know, there's there's going to be pain and there's going to be death and and disappointment and those sorts of things. I think that, you know, the, the beauty of of our faith is that even within that, we know who wrote the entire book and mm-hmm. we're, we're on one page of a book and all we can see is the letters on that page. But he's written the entire the entire story, not only of our lives, but for the history of mankind. Mm. How, how did I, I know a little bit about your background? Obviously, spending time with you, but your dad, um, your dad's a preacher, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, talk a little bit about your faith, being a being a preacher's kid. But really, I, I want to know about your faith and how you grew up, but then how it became your own. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, grew, grew up in a you know, what people would say was a Christian home. Both my mother and my father are both believers, um, both, um, you know, strong believers in that they are um, exhibiting, you know, fruit. They they demonstrate that to us as kids. Uh, growing up, we knew right from wrong. Uh, we saw mommy and daddy minister in our communities, in our churches. Um, but what they always talked about was the fact that, you know, this is our faith our job as parents is to raise children in the admonition of the Lord. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there has to be a point in time where through repentance and faith, you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. And so that's something that we were always, always aware of and something that we heard. I was very young though. My father actually led me to the Lord, um, you know, really through John three sixteen. I remember mm-hmm. praying with him, you know, in repentance and faith at about six or seven years old. And that's when I passed from death into life. But, um, that started my journey. Uh, but, but I do consider myself so fortunate. And now, you know, how it is now when you, when you have kids, you look back at some of the things that your parents did and you're like, man, it didn't make sense to me at the time, but I'm so glad y'all did it this way because I see the fruit of, of the boundaries that you all put on our life that I wanted to press up against. But I see how those boundaries help bring me to where I am with my wife and my kids and able to establish some of those, those things with them. I think, um, you know, throughout ben, what our were some of those boundaries? Life. What were some yeah. of those boundaries that you look back on now? Well, oh, great, great question. I, I think some of those boundaries, I mean, really, they started pressing in around high school. Mm. <laughs> you know, are you going to date? If you're going to date, what is that going to look like? Do you have to talk? Simple thing. Do you have to talk to her parents? How late do you get to stay out? Are you allowed to be alone with her? Um, are you going to go to this party or this dance? Um, you know, what are some of the things that we expect you all to do, not only in school, but um, when it comes to your 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 church attendance and the importance of being involved in your faith community, hmm. um, you know, learning scripture, uh, you know, uh, uh, what are you listening to? You know, those sorts of things. I remember one time Snoop Dogg came out with a uh, <laughs> with a new album and uh, I love hip hop music. I mean, I have I always have. And uh, but this particular it was a it was a tape. So this was back in Ooh. this was I mean I was this was before <laughs> you I old bro. Yeah, dude, I'm old man. This is a this is a cassette tape. My kids don't even know what a cassette tape is. And I remember no. I got this cassette tape from a friend and I brought it in my house. And I was in middle school at the time. I hadn't even listened to it. My friends like, hey, take this tape, listen to it. It's it's amazing, you know, doggy style, whatever. Come home, my dad somehow found the tape. My little brother had played it while I was at school when he was at home. My dad almost beat me up with the tape. 
to the point where I took the tape, ran out of the house, down the neighborhood, threw it on my friend's front porch. It was like, I never want to see this thing again. Um, now, I still had affinity for hip-hop music, but what I realized at the time was it's important how much and what you listen to. And also just establishing the rules in the house. This is what this is what's expected in this house. This is how we're going to operate in this house. This is the order in this house. Mm. God, daddy, mommy, kids, and we all submit to someone because that's the order God established. And so it's little stories like that that you remember, but you know, the guardrails I think as parents are vitally important in how we raise our kids because freedom is only freedom if there's some sort of parameters around it. Hmm. That's powerful. Those are, you just, you just listed about 10 incredible things for all of our parents to, to apply to their lives. The, I think the original question, I kind of got to sidetrack because I was just so curious about the, the boundaries that your dad had set and your mom, because I'm, I'm a pastor and I think about my kids, but get back to get, how did you develop that faith of your own? I kind of got you sidetracked asking about the boundaries, but you were talking about your faith of your own. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I kind of addressed it a little bit in in that, you know, I I grew up understanding the Bible. Um, I grew up learning Bible verses in vacation Bible school, like a lot of people did. Uh, But but I think what my parents did that was maybe maybe different is they always challenged us to to even ask, ask questions. Because I think as, as, as human beings, as, as children, we go through stages where we want to know why. You know, we understand what, but we want to know why. And I think as parents, it's important that we're able to engage with our kids, not from a place of faith and not challenging the validity of the faith, but allowing them to explore the why, because that helps them create a foundation. So I, I mentioned it before, but I became a Christian. When I was about six or seven years old. Um, I would ask a lot about death, I think, you know, being the oldest kid. And I think some people had passed away and I just had it. It was very inquisitive in that way. And I remember my father, you know, asking me specifically about me when I died, even at a young age, something I thought a lot about. And he shared with me a very familiar verse that we all know and that I knew John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And, th- and at that point in stage in my life, I was just reading today in in our daily reading in the book of I think Thessalonians where it talks about the Paul is telling them to to preach that when he preached the gospel God called the people God called them and at that point my father spoke scripture to me but God called me he didn't call mm. my dad didn't call me my dad didn't save me we don't save anybody but when we speak forth God's word. God, through his spirit, uses that to call people to himself. Mm. And so at that point in time is when, you know, I became a Christian. And I think that, you know, over time, over my life, obviously you grow in the faith, you have your struggles, you have, you know, certain doubts or whatnot, but that started my my personal journey of faith. Yeah, and I think I think that's important for anybody out there. Everybody, we all have doubts. Like every single one of us, the the strongest believer you think you know in your life still has doubts. Like we all have those moments when things come to your mind, you're just like, where the heck does that come from? And it's not from God when you're having those doubts. When you talk about, we talked about, we opened with your story, we opened with all your kids. 
Okay, how do how do you and Kirsten find you and Kirsten time? Obviously, you are because you got seven kids. But I'm just saying, like now <laughs> with seven kids, you talked about the order and everybody's submitting. It's God, it's marriage, then the kids come down the list. Not God, kids, then Kirsten way down the list. How do y'all make sure that you guys do that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we 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 found time at least. At least seven times, as my as my son would say. <laughs> my, my son the other day was like, "I mean, I know you guys have done it at least seven times." Like, if you do it again, it means you have eight kids. And we had a whole conversation about that. Tell him um, yes, so he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's <Exactly>. what happens. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I, I think that. I mean, quite honestly, I'll say this. While I was playing football, it was easier to find time, which is kind of crazy. And for all the things that football um, that was difficult in a marriage and and uh, in family life with football, the schedule made it easy. I mean, you know, this day is like, you know, Tuesday's your day off. That's your weekend. I mean, scheduling a date night on Monday night or Tuesday was always like, bam. I mean, we knew that was happening. We had a babysitter for that day. Since I've been out for the last three years, the schedule's kind of funky, you know. <laughs> some days, some weeks are, are, you know, I'm traveling more than others. Some I'm not. Some, you know, the kids are getting a little bit older, so they're more involved. But how do you how do you schedule time? Number one, you make it a priority. Whatever we make priorities in our life is what we'll dedicate <clears throat> our time and our and our energy towards. Too often, when it comes to marriage, it devolves into simply parenting, which it is that, or it devolves into simply, uh, you know, ministry, which that's definitely important. But when you read through scripture and the importance of the unity that you all have together, that you're one flesh, it's very clear that marriage is supposed to be preeminent and that that earthly relationship, that's your most important earthly relationship, period. And so how do you make it a priority is finding babysitters. So we, we schedule times to, you know, go out on date night. We try to get away at least once a year, just the two of us. We try to do more than that, but there needs to be at least one time where we're going for multiple days without the kids. I think also it's important to realize that kids benefit when they see their parents prioritize each other because it, pastor, it goes back to order. You mentioned mm-hmm. order. We, we as human beings are designed to respond correctly to order. And so for children to see that they aren't the first order of importance for mommy and daddy, that's, that's positive for them. Sometimes we think Mm -hmm. it's negative for them. The kids got to be first. They got to feel like they're first. Like, no, like like they need to see mommy and daddy say, you know what? We're leaving y'all today. If we can get a babysitter and we're going to go out. No, I'm talking to mommy right now. Don't interrupt me while I'm talking to mommy. Because our job as parents is to raise adults, mm-hmm. not kids. <laughs> so but it's about prioritizing, but it's, it's difficult. Our lives get busy. And, you know, I think for parents, you know, and, and for, for married couples, it, it gets hard. And, and I think um, I think that's important. And I think there's easy ways to do that. Like I, I make sure when I'm out of town and I come in the house, the first thing I do is I greet my wife. Because she's more important than my my seven kids, my my two kids. Like, I just I, I want to set a standard when I walk in my house. Like, you are my first. Like, you are the yeah. most important. I missed you so dang much. Yeah, I missed my kids, but I missed mm. you. So now, yeah. what about now? Your your life is different, and you're doing TV now, and you're traveling. 
what about when you're on the road? Like, you know, um, how do you, you know, some of my buddies, one of my buddies, Russ Tanner, texted me before the season started. I love what he said. He was like, hey, man, just remember, you're a good-looking dude. You're on the road. Like, what are your, what are your mm-hmm. guardrails? Like, wh- what are your guardrails? What are you... What are you making sure you do? What are you making sure you send Kirsten? How are you making sure when you're on the road? Because she's at home doing work. Like, she's at home doing the hard stuff. Like, how are you making sure that we pour into her and prioritize her? Yeah. Uh, I think that that it starts even before you leave. And uh, what I mean by that is length of time that you're gone, number one. Uh, One thing that has been difficult um, in this post football time, I mean, you know, so, so during, for those that don't know, when you're playing ball, you really only leave, you know, eight times a year. I mean, you have eight away games. Football is probably the most conducive to family life of any pro sport. I mean, you, you're at work like everybody else, seven in the morning to five in the evening, you travel on every other weekend. And within that you're gone for at max 48 hours. Um, you know, one night usually, and so now it's, you know, what do you say yes to? Uh, I try not to be gone ever for more than two nights. If it's more than a two night trip, I ain't going. Probably because I know for my marriage, two nights isn't good. You know, more than two nights isn't good. I don't want to be gone for my wife for more than more than two nights. Usually if I can leave somewhere early in the morning and be back late the next night, I'll cram everything in and be gone for one night. Also, it gives the kids an expectation of when daddy will be home. Um, and so that's on the front end. Also on the front end, it's about making deposits into the bank. I heard somebody one time told me about, you know, you probably have talked about this on your podcast, you know, whatever you call it, the love bank or whatever you want to call it. Like how many deposits have you already put in, in your relationship with your wife? What, what, what are the things that make her feel appreciated? Is it your words? Is it your service? Is it gifts? What are the things that you can how can you stack affirmation on her so that when you're gone, you're making withdrawals from an account that's already, already overflowing. When you have an argument with her, you're not already at the bottom and you're, and you're in the negative already. So it's, it's an ongoing process. It's bigger than when you're gone sending her some, I mean, you know, that's part of it, but really it's, it's about, it's about a, a lifestyle. And then lastly, how are you planning to support her if there needs to be support while you're gone? Is it um, enlisting some help from a mother or a mother-in-law? I mean, for the first time ever in 16 years of marriage, 17 years of marriage, um, we actually live near family for the first time. So usually we've been on our own and we've had to navigate it on our own. But having the conversation about having somebody pick up my daughter from ballet is very, very helpful and shows that you are in tune. So it's, as you know, it's bigger than just while you're gone. It's it's an ongoing process. Um, And also I'll tell dads this sometimes. Sometimes dads, you got to know how to say no. Like you got to know how to say, no, I can't go do this. It's not worth it. It ain't worth it. It's not as important as being here with my family. I need to be here to see my son or my daughter do X, Y, and Z. My wife needs me here. I need to be here because I know if I'm gone for too long, I expose myself to temptation that I don't want to deal with. Like I tell people all the time, David, like I'm not that good a Christian. I, <laughs> I don't need to be like somewhere 
where I, I just like have to deal and fight with temptation. That's stupid. Take your butt home. Yeah, and I, I think that's <laughs> you. You do this next question, by the way, Pastor Jay. But I, I think that's important. What he said is important, and that is something that I had to learn the hard way. Was when I'm gone, like she's got so much going on with the kids, and a lot of times it's interesting. Our conversations would be, okay, well, what are you doing? Like, how much TV did you do? How much blah blah did you do? And I'm and I'm sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, I'm not asking about. Like, did you get the kids to school? How was it taking the kids to school? How was it getting them to football? Like, we got to make sure if you're one of those people that travel a lot and you got to make sure you're getting into their life and what they're doing because they're taking care of all the hard stuff. And not, not the hard stuff. They're taking care of the important stuff at home. Like, they've got the most important possessions of ours, period, at home. Like, and, and just asking questions and being in their lives a little bit about what's going on at home, I think, makes them so much more secure. It makes them feel so much more appreciated. I think it's making those deposits that Ben's talking about. And if you don't think about it, it's, it's easy to think about, I'm in a hotel room, I'm by myself, I'm actually not having fun, I'm actually kind of bored, but... When they got when they got all the stuff when she's like I wish I had a hotel room with some peace and quiet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank you for listening to this week's Family Goals podcast with Davy Pollock and Pastor Jay. Seven kids is crazy, Ben Watson. Okay, so two things really stuck out to me. The first is this: that we, as a body of believers, need to talk to each other and bear each other's burdens. So if you've had a miscarriage or going through one or feel like you are alone. Be reminded that you are not alone. There's always somebody else that has been through it or someone that is also going in a tough situation in life. So I want to encourage you to find that person or group of people that you can lean on. Find that local church body that you can lean on in those tough seasons of life. So here at Grayson, we are here to walk with you. The second is this, his constant investment into his marriage to make sure before he leaves, his wife is cared for and loved so that she is ready to run the house when he's gone. So what are you doing to invest in your marriage and the relationships with your kids? Join us next week for part two of this deep conversation with Ben Watson.